I'm Mark Gandy, and this is CFO Bookshelf. This show is being published during the 2021 World Series between the Houston Astros and the Atlanta Braves. So here's the question. As a baseball fan since childhood, do I give myself permission to do a baseball-related show at the risk of isolating all of our non-baseball fans across the globe who listen to this show. So here is my rationalization in saying yes to do a baseball show. I don't know a single business reader who has not read Moneyball at least once. Heck, I know a few people that read Moneyball more than once. So before Moneyball, there happened to be Finley Ball. Say what? Yeah, Finley Ball. From the same baseball town as Moneyball, we have one of the most prolific and iconic baseball owners ever in the sport of baseball. His name, Charlie Finley. He brought his colorful uniforms, even brought the Beatles to his ballpark way back when the club was in Kansas City, Missouri in the 1960s. He had a petting zoo at a ballpark. He had a mule for a mascot. He was instrumental in giving us night baseball games during the World Series, many of the changes in baseball could be traced back to this controversial owner. And our guest today is the daughter of the very man who is the VP and general manager for Charlie Finley. That man was like a brother to Charlie Finley, and his name was Carl Finley. And the daughter of Carl Finley? Well, that would be Nancy Finley, and she's the author of Finley Ball. And she grew up around the sport and was a part of the Kansas City Athletics and Oakland A's teams during the 20 special years from being a young teen to a young adult. Nancy Finley, author of Finley Ball. That conversation is coming up next here on CFO Bookshelf. I could easily pick out on baseball books, but I limit myself to about two titles a year. And this year, I happened to read two baseball books back-to-back this summer. The first one was by Doris Kearns Goodwin, entitled Wait Till Next Year. And it's her story of growing up, rooting for the Dodgers with her dad when they were in Brooklyn, And while Miss Kearns was a fan who got to attend a few games in person, Nancy Finley, the niece of Charlie Finley, owner of the Kansas City A's and then the Oakland A's after they moved, well, she got to see nearly every single game of every season across some 20 years. So how cool was that, Nancy Finley? It was actually, Kansas City was like a Disneyland inside that stadium. And because of all the colors, the petting zoo, oh my God, the sheep, the colored sheep above the bleachers with the shepherd. Um, it was really fascinating. All the colors, fireworks after every home run. And um, it, it was fun. My cousins would come in a lot from Chicago. We'd run all over the place. Um, I was the kind of child where people would ask, can you sit? Do you think you can sit still for one minute? <laughs> I was used to that, but that was what uh, we were allowed to run around, and it was a lot of fun. Charlie made it fun. And by the way, we should probably probably point out that this is the early 
1960s. Didn't Charlie yes. buy the team in, was it 1961? It was 60. He bought it at an estate sale. I want to talk a little bit for the next few minutes about your book, Finley Ball, which I mm-hmm. had a hard time putting down. And, and I'm, not, I'm not just saying that. This, I'm, it, I'm biased. I mean, I'm from Missouri, live in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the origin story begins, as you said, in 1960 mm-hmm. uh, with Charlie Finley buying the Kansas City Athletics. Uh, yes. He was he was an outsider. He started in the insurance agency. Is that mm-hmm. correct? He started with sales in a kiosk. How what what led him to buy the athletics? Well, when he made all the money, when he started his own insurance company and then made a lot of money, he was a good salesperson. He loved baseball. So he wanted to own his own team. And that's that's what he did. And he wanted to run it his way. When he first bought the team, he he laid down the rule, no trades, especially to the Yankees, unless I hear about it and I approve it. And by the way, I want to put a pin in that. If you read the book, mm-hmm. there's a reason. I mean, I was shocked that the current owner was just shipping players basically for free to the uh, New York Yankees. I know. He, I know. He, and by the way, when he bought the athletics, and again, I'm getting this through the mm-hmm. book, uh, he failed at buying the original yes. Philadelphia athletics. And then I did not know this, but he took a run at the Detroit Tigers. He did, but I remember the fa- hearing the family say it wasn't his time yet. They were glad he didn't uh, get in. Uh, well, first of all, if he'd gotten in, Dad would not have been ready to help. Um, he just he needed Dad so bad after that first season, and I, I remember hearing that it just wasn't his time. It felt like it wasn't his time. Uh, so. It wasn't um, a disappointing thing that he didn't get it. And it probably taught him how to go about the rule, how to go by the rules. And then, you know, he went into the auction and had the winning bid. The only other person there was Ernie Mel with his group of businessmen who he was representing. The honeymoon period did not last long. In fact, till August, <laughs> it was, it was a uh, short and you just mentioned Ernie Mel of the Kansas city star. So he, let's just say that, that Charlie got off to a rough start. What, what happened I there? I wonder, see Ernie Mel offered his hand to Charlie when Charlie won and then said, if you need a good GM, I have one for you. That was Frank Lane. Charlie took him on it. He didn't know he hired Frank Lane and and things looked really good. In fact, uh, there's a 1961 article in Sports Illustrated from June. Everything's rosy. Charlie's happy and then he Charlie fired Frank Lane when he found out Lane was trading to the Yankees. And at that time Lane was about 20 years older than Charlie and probably thought he knew more. And um that angered Charlie. So um, truthfully, after what I know, I would have fired Frank Lane earlier than that. <laughs> it was it was bad. So Charlie fired him. But then an article came out in the Star by Ernie Mel quoting Frank Lane saying he's sure Finley is thinking about moving. 
that's the first time that rumor came out. And that was something that was that was certainly not going to happen. Charlie had just spent 500000 of his own money to renovate that stadium he didn't own. And that's, again, that's a critical point because mm-hmm. the, the, the city, the city owned, owned it, right? Right. But yeah. And, and that would be pointed out to Mel and Mel's answer would be, well, he, he's going to get it back when uh, he moves and he, Mel would have an answer, but no, that's uh that was not something Charlie did. It Charlie did not intend to move. The problem was when we found out the Kansas City Chiefs were charged $1 a year for their lease in 63. Then that made everyone angry. Then Charlie Charlie thought he should have the same, and he would say, well, I might move if I don't get it. So then that played into what Mel said. And I was not aware of that story. I mean, I'm, as a Missourian, very happy uh, the Chiefs uh, came mm-hmm. to Kansas City. But when I read that about the disparity of the lease yeah. payment, I was I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I, I would have been, I would have been yes. angry. Yeah. One, one thing I, and let me back up. I, I was born at the very end of the baby boomer era and I have zero memory of the Kansas city athletics. I, I would have mm-hmm. been just, uh, uh, I mean, younger than a, than a, that <laughs> wasn't even a, a teenager at that yeah. time yet. I so, was, yeah, I was the same. I was just there taken there. <laughs> so what, what, impressed me in the story, what impressed me with the story was the innovation, the creativity. I was just shocked. I was just shocked at what I was uh, reading, the, the, the animals, mm-hmm. uh, the, the pop-up rabbit. Oh, Harvey. Yes. Where, where, where did all these ideas come from? Well, Harvey was uh, the, from a, the Jimmy Stewart movie, which Charlie liked. That's where that came from. And um, and then he had monkeys in the petting zoo. He named after his uncles. So you know that saying. And it is interesting because Charlie did things after sayings he liked. Um, and he, he just thought, and then the sheep and the brightly colored robe, the shepherd had on, that's from the Bible, Jacob or Joseph, I believe, but he just thought that this would, the people would want, should want to come in and have their mind just uh, hit with all of these things and not be bored. He had a petting zoo with picnic tables and lighting for, for the night. Uh, Peacocks. I remember peacocks roaming the grounds. And then we had the elephant on our stationery. So we had that mascot until the governor of Missouri gave us a meal for our petting zoo. And then Charlie decided to just make it his mascot. Your uncle loved to win. He wanted to win. Oh, yes. That That is not even in question, especially in the book. I've read some articles where he may have been tight, but he right. still wanted yeah. to, to, to win. What amazes me, and we're going to talk about Moneyball in a few minutes, because mm-hmm. I can't think of any business person who has not read, who's not read the book Moneyball, mm-hmm. but he, he was the owner of a three-peat. 
They won three World Series in a row. And by the way, and before, two playoffs on both sides. Exactly, yeah. exactly right. So they could have theoretically won, you know, five. It could have been a five peak. Oh yes. But oh, here, yeah. But the question is, and it's going to be asked and answered, and I'll let you pick up from there. Who drafted almost every single player? Who was it? The scouting was usually Charlie would hear something about someone. We we went to high schools mostly, but it depended on whoever told us. We had people in high school like uh, coaches, and we let them all know to let us know if there was someone who showed talent. So as soon as they called either dad or Charlie, it used to be Pat Friday in the early days, but he came from the insurance company. He could not wait to get back, but um, they would go out and take a look at the player. And sometimes it was interesting. I remember when people with other teams would turn them down and say, no, they don't have a chance. And then dad or Charlie would see something and take them. And some of the players we had in the world series were like that. They were, um, Oh, people that other teams said were dried up and they came through for us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us. And we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. So something was working. Again, this mm-hmm. is in the, in the days of pre-analytics, not a lot of data. It's just, you know. Yeah, we did stats, sure. We, we, had, we, did, we looked at stats, of course. But not quite like we have it today where everything is just hyper- analytical and that's what blew me away because a a, a lot of the players that were on those on those world series teams they were uh, drafted back in uh kansas city when y'all were still with with the exactly the the athletics we were building the team in kansas city and people say oh they were they were so bad but we were building building for the future and i yes i've not done a count but I need to look to see how many of those players wound up going to the Hall of Fame. Obviously, Reggie Jackson being mm-hmm. the most notable uh, of mm-hmm. that franchise uh, during that three-peat. Uh, spe- speaking of the dynasty, as a kid, were you preteen, junior high, high school uh, during the World Series years? Oh, let me think. I was preteen. But it lasted a long time, um, preteen to high school. How, how exhilarating was that for you? It would and your it, dad. It was a shock. Yes, it, it was. Well, actually, when I moved to Oakland, that things were becoming stressful, interesting because I guess in Kansas City, 
Well, we were building. So that was like a team effort. And but in Oakland, I noticed stress. And it's like when you start really doing it, it just there's something that gets to everyone. It's a line you're walking. I don't know what it is, but I really sensed it. This stress level when we I'm trying to remember, we would, I was brought in for 73. I was left out of school because dad always said, this is your homeschooling. <laughs> so um, Charlie didn't trust people to work with these tickets. And it was off site at a secret place, never at the Coliseum. So I was brought in to help with that. And it was exciting because I saw all these tickets and I thought, oh, we have to win. I can't let all this go to waste. <laughs> but it was so awesome to see our, uh, our the image of our mascot kicking, you know, the other team. I mean, who does that? That was something that I'm surprised Charlie got accepted by MLB to have that on a ticket. But the um, the exhilaration, the playoffs, and then going to the World Series, I was in two game sevens. And I thought about writing a short story about what it's like with the game seven starting in the morning. And I did. I got up to the second inning and then had a writer's block because it's so intense. Um, it, it's difficult. Uh, the to see the look on people's faces, the players' faces, you know what people are feeling. Um, you can be in the women's the restroom and hear the crowd, and you know by what the crowd, how the crowd sounds. You I, know what's happened. I hope the Bay Area residents know how special it is to win. If you ask any Yankees fan, they're so too. proud of all those pennants. I know. The, I the, know. Red, the Red Sox. Uh, mm. I, I know what it was like when. Kansas City won their first uh, World Series in 1985. Yes. You know I'm a Cardinals fan. We we love our yes. teams, even yes. the ones who lost in the World Series. So I just hope that you Bay should. residents appreciate mm -hmm. those three years. I hope so. Well, you know, we were sued in 1979, actually. Um, I'm working. I'm deciding. I'm trying to decide whether I should do another book or just add it to my book as an expanded edition. But I was there through our rebuilding in the 70s, which led to 81. And dad did a lot of that scouting. Yes, he did. And, and he decided they to do it under... Um, not let the press know about it. They didn't want to be second guessed. So we're we're doing the scouting. People say we're terrible, you know, but also we lost the mule at the end of 76. So 77 was our first season without the mule running out and greeting people. That was a huge, um, that was a lot of publicity for us. And um, then we had, we had a lot of obstacles obstacles that year but we had the same pretty much the same roster in 81 we had in 77 and i take these out and i'm proud when i see them i remember dad signing off signing off for the home games before the game would start and in 79 right after the season started uh we were served with a lawsuit by the city of oakland county of alameda and 
Coliseum Board, one cause of action said our players were not up to MLB standards. That's, I, I was still in high school, but I, I knew that was ridiculous. And dad said he thought the commissioner's office was part of that silently because they filed it in federal court. And how would any of these def- uh, plaintiffs know how to tell MLB standards? if it came down to it. So um, we, it was dismissed in our favor just a few months later, but we shouldn't have had to do that. This um, is coming from the same people who never gave you finished offices. No, I think your never. walls were cinder blocks. They, they were they awful. They were awful. I remember when the Haas family came in and I saw what the walls should have looked like because they paid their own money to have all of that done. And it was beautiful. But it was hard. I mean, to think of all the adversity we went through and our achievements, I often say, what would we have done if people had been really good? You know, it was amazing. But but dad, after that lawsuit, that caused dad to um, tell Charlie it was time to sell because some friends of dad's who worked in um, law enforcement in the Bay Area said that anti-Finley sentiment was really growing and they were worried about us. We were there. Charlie wasn't. My only expertise of baseball is being a lifelong fan. I don't think playing stratomatic baseball as a teenager and junior high kid counts as being an expert. But as I read your book, as I read the book with interest, I, I was hooked. It was a page turner There's one thing I learned in this book, and and I want to praise you for your balance because, again, you're the daughter of Carl Finley, Mm -hmm. the the cousin. So this is not just a book about Charlie. It's a book also about Carl. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And as a as a daughter, you could have just you could have just praise and and just put every positive thing you could. I felt like I felt like you were an outsider writing this book. And I want to set that up because Carl is a cousin of mm-hmm. Charlie. They grew up together mm-hmm. from what I understood. They're, they're like brothers. Yes. yes. And without Carl, I almost get the idea that maybe none of this could have happened. Now that may be an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Maybe my things... opinion is, mm, I don't think it could have. So why isn't it we haven't heard more about Carl Finley? Because I now have a strong opinion. And the reason I wanted to point out that I'm not an expert in MLB baseball, I think this individual, your father, should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he Thank is, you. to me, this guy is an executive. And my opinion is mm-hmm. he did not need to be heard. He a very humble person. Mm-hmm. Uh he'd make decisions. He could pull deals, but it's like, he did not yeah. need anyone to know that, Hey, I was responsible. He just loved the work. He didn't care about the title, mm-hmm. but tell, that's, just, just tell true. me a little bit about what your dad was like in, in major league baseball, which by the way, he started out as a school teacher in Texas, right? High school principal. Yeah. School teacher of history and then high school principal. In fact, his class is having a reunion, hopefully next summer, and they've invited me to uh, be there in his place. And they, his former students love him. He was involved. I, I found out he played an instrument. Someone gave me, I think I sent you a picture. Yes, he, you did. 
Yeah, but it has him as Mr. Finley. And then he received a lifetime um, junior college credential to teach because he taught in the off season. Actually, it was business law. He liked to keep busy. But he um, but dad was Charlie wanted dad to act as his media salary mediator with players. And that's where dad drew the line. He did it once with Reggie Jackson and one. And then dad told Charlie he couldn't do that. He had to work with the players. He couldn't he didn't want to be in that position. So Charlie was wanting dad to do everything. And it sounds like and he did, in a way. He did, he did, and then he would pull back and say, "No, this he he, he could dad could not do that with the players. There there are other people who do that." So, um, but Charlie leaned on dad a lot. Charlie was not there every morning. Charlie would call. I was going to say the would, the morning phone call, right, for yes, about one yes. to two hours every day. Yes, and you know, dad missed that when Charlie passed away. I noticed that. Dad really missed that. Did the, did those phone calls happen during the winter time? Yes. Oh, except if Charlie was. Oh, Charlie would call on holidays. That didn't matter. But when Char after Charlie's divorce, he became engaged, and he was like a schoolboy. You'd, you'd hear about. Um, he was so uh, in love, and he. I have a postcard he sent us at the Coliseum while we're working. And he drew a he draws a line to his hotel room in Oslo. <laughs> it's it's so cute in a way. You know, you don't see a man that age doing that. You are a big follower of the game. Had Charlie and Carl, if they were running the A's in this era, well, this is a hard question. You may not be able to answer it, but do you think they'd be doing much differently today? What? what well, computers. Well, okay. computers. That would be new. Yeah. And uh, oh my gosh, well, social media. I just thought of social media. And and what's uh, interesting is the the uniforms of the A's have not changed that much uh, from mm-hmm. the '70s, which tells me they were so way ahead of their time. Because and I see, I thought about this question. It's like. What else is there left uh, to change? Because uh, I think I, I think you mentioned this in the book. They it was Charlie's idea. Why are we starting the World Series in the daytime mm-hmm. during the week? Let's do this yes. on the weekends, and then during the week, let's have the games be at night so kids can watch mm-hmm. and parents, people who work all day, they can come home and get to see the games at night. That that came from Charlie. Yes, and I see Bowie Coon gets credit for that in his little blurb at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, oh, de- designated on. hitter, uh, pinch runners. Yes, yes. I and and people used to really criticize the DH, so I want it back. You know, I I read about someone wrote something about how the the baseball is going to change, uh, and it's going to be just as radical as the DH. And I thought. Okay, so, um, but the DH seems to be something they want to hold on to. I would love to see the financial statements of the New York Yankees. I'd love to see the financial statements of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, I'll have a link in our show notes, but once upon a time, the city of Milwaukee owned the Milwaukee Brewers. So I'll have links to where you can see 
uh, wow, those financial really? statements. That's uh, the pre for for baseball. Yeah, uh, I have ours. I have our nineteen sixty one. Oh, I would love and sixty four actually. I would love to see those financials just out of curiosity. Yeah. So the question I have, Nancy, is. Mm-hmm. Were those teams profitable or did Charlie have to subsidize them? He subsidized in the 60s, that's some, a, some, most of it. That's amazing. And mm-hmm. now I'm hoping that when they moved to Oakland, they were profitable, right? Yes, yes. Ed, but still, that's why Charlie watched every penny because he had been poor. He knew what that was like. And so, um, yeah, it was his business. And he had a good idea of how it should be run. Uh, there were times when he would be generous. And I remember when he gave players bonuses after our 72 World Series and Kuhn made him pay them, made the players pay them back. I never understood that. That's crazy. I mean, it is. if there are rules, I mean, if there are rules to, to abide by, I get it. But I mean, that's an act of generosity. That to me, that's gratitude. Yeah. I, I do not understand that. I never read any any reason for it. I, I when I we could talk forever, and mm-hmm. and I hope I. By the way, I hope I get to meet you in person sometime. Oh, well, what I well, what I would love is to just be at dinner with you and Doris mm-hmm. Kearns Goodwin, mm-hmm. and just listen. I would not say a word. I would just listen. You all just talk baseball the whole evening. I need to meet her. You need to meet her. We, I, I, of course, I don't know her, know her, but uh, that some someone has to know someone that who could make that mm-hmm. work. I think if she were to get a hold of your book, she would adore it. I, I'm just completely convinced of it. You know what happened with my book was uh, my publisher thought that it should go to every front op- baseball front office and. Um, you know, instead of places like Wall Street Journal, places like that. But then, uh, like USA Today asked for a copy. So it was difficult because I was trying to figure out, is it a baseball book or a bio or what? What do you what do you call it? So the publisher just went with a baseball book because that made sense. And so, well, that's tough because I've had people say they liked it, even though they're not really a sports person. Well, I understand because who's writing the story? It's a young girl. Well, mm-hmm. obviously an older yes. person, but, yes. but in my opinion, I feel like I'm reading the story of someone who's gone back in time and telling the story uh, from that age. And I just, it's a poignant story. And I think what, I don't think this is lost. You see a relationship that at times has tension, but you see two men who mm-hmm. make it work and they start, yeah. they start with nothing and then they churn out a winner. There are obstacles, there's conflict. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have all the makings and the elements of a great story. And I Thank can understand you. why the non baseball person would say, mm-hmm. this is a neat story. Yeah. I have an audio and a, a man told me he had it on in his car. And his wife said, oh, don't turn that off. I want to hear the rest. I was going to say the the audible version, just to plug here, Mm -hmm. the audible version is outstanding. So get the book and the audio version. Thank you. I was going to say that for our 1981 
I think we could have gone on and repeated the 70s in the 80s. I just don't think I don't think MLB was ready for another Finley run. And it was under a new ownership anyway, because it would require dad and Charlie to be together. Right. I want to wrap up. I don't ask this to every uh, guest, but if you were doing a TED talk and if your audience is 10,000 teenagers, what would be the topic of your TED talk? That if they, whatever they love, they can succeed at like in baseball with dad and Charlie making it to the top in really a short amount of time. And people, you know, I can see people saying you've never had experience in a front office or you've never played the game. They didn't listen to that. They, they were hard headed as people have called the Finleys. And um, sometimes that being hard headed can, can be a plus you have to, just stay focused, put those blinders on and, um, and keep the passion. What are your favorite books? Wow. Oh, my favorite. I've been reading, you know what? Are you my latest book? I have you, to say, my my uh, latest book. Do you? I was going to say, do you read sports books or? Well, read- here's here's one I'm reading, and this is by Mark Littell called "What's Up, Ramrod." That that's his newest book, right? Yeah, and and yes, and it's about his time in Australia. Australia likes baseball. They and, have and, a baseball. And for people league. who do not know. Of the name Mark Littell, he played Major League Baseball mm-hmm. in Kansas City and St. Louis. I want to say in the seventies and early eighties, up through seventy-five, I believe, for the, both teams. And the guy could mm-hmm. throw a heater high and in. Mm-hmm. And I I know him enough to know that his nickname was called Country because mm-hmm. he's from my home state, down on the what's what we call the Boot Heel of Missouri. Yes, yes. And yes. I'm guessing he's the kind of guy where no one is a stranger to him either. That's right. That's right. But see, I'm more country than he is. And I remind him of that. That's <laughs> <Texas. funny. laughs> And yes. And then I have the green Finley cowboy hat. I want to know, I want to know a little bit about your current work. I'll just go ahead and say the website where we can find you is Oakland athletics, And I believe you said the website is being, uh, updated. Yes. Uh, love the colors, yes. by the way. Thank and I, you. and Thank I, you. I think, I think I know the history of those Oakland athletic uh, colors. Does it have to do with the uh, Green Bay Packers? Am I warm? You know what? No, that's what some, that's what um, some people thought because of where Charlie lived. It was, well, some people thought it was Notre Dame, but it actually comes from him having synesthesia, which my daughter has. It's a genetic. Oh, okay. Yes. I Taylor was diagnosed first, and they the doctor said, well, someone in your family, her family must have it. And it occurred to me, after just looking around at all the colorful A's things, that, okay, this is where it's from. And um, it, it was, Charlie needed color around him. In fact, he came out with a football after selling the team that has yellow stripes from end to end. 
Understood. I, I, yeah. I got the idea that maybe he picked the Oakland A's colors because of, uh, because he liked football and there's a football team colors. I, so I was mistaken. Well, he loved color and, and that was an excuse. I mean, he owned the team. He could change, he could change to color because like how he painted this stadium, teal, uh, fluorescent gold, that was before the uniforms changed. So it shows you what he thought of color. So obviously you are a historian. You've enjoyed building and working on this website. Yes. Yes. I have more. I have much more to add as I've, that I, as I've sent you, uh, by the way, I consider fluorescent orange sort of our quasi color now because of the orange baseball. Okay. Understood. Yes. What, so what's next on OaklandAthleticsHistory.com? What, 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 more, what, more pictures. More pictures and maybe more stories? Oh, yes, yes. There, there wasn't room to. I had about a minimum 150 words and only 75 to 85 words would fit. I have enjoyed this conversation, Nancy. Again, I've been looking forward to it ever since you said yes. I, I love to, uh, to be on. The, the book. Is, the book is... A beautiful story. Uh, yes, it's a book of of history, but it's just a special t- story told through the eyes of a very young girl uh, as she's and growing it, up. Um, I'm sorry, it sets the record straight in some ways too. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. I hope we can continue to to stay in touch. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I highly, highly, especially if you're a baseball fan. Highly recommend the book of Finley Ball. It's one of the probably the top five or six baseball related books I've ever read. And and that's there's some great baseball reads out there. I mean, almost uh, too many of them out there. But yours, in my opinion, is a top five, top six. And again, thank just an incredible story. And thank you for writing it, Nancy. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you for reading it. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Again, the book is Finley Ball by Nancy Finley. Same baseball city, two major baseball innovations, one being Moneyball, which is full of analytics. But then we have Finley Ball, which had limited analytics. It was based on magic. Focusing on the paying fan, making each game an event. Oh, oh yeah. During Finley Ball, they won three championships in succession. So here's a question. What's better, Moneyball or Finley Ball? Here's my answer. How about both? What do you think? Hey guys, we need to call this a wrap. I'm Mark Gandy. This is CFO Bookshelf, and thank you for listening.